morning. You may take your seats and welcome church. You know, it's just a real honor and privilege to come and um, to share God's word. And I thank you for that opportunity. And I thank you for giving me the ears, your ears, just for this short time this morning, just to share his word, because it's incredibly powerful. You know, the word of God, it says it's, um, it's able to correct us, it encourages us, it even directs us, rebukes us. And so I want to come to a passage this morning, and my prayer would be that we would be responsive and open. It just wouldn't be information today, but there'd come some incredible transformation as we take a hold of God's word and say, Holy Spirit, just give me an understanding and truth and revelation of your word today and what you're speaking to my heart. Who knows that I might be sharing a message, but the Holy Spirit can be preaching something particularly for your situation today. Who knows that? Who's open to that? I pray that you, you will be today. So, um, YPs, all the YPs, 12 and 13 rolls, you're welcome to go to your discipleship class. Luke chapter 5 today. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. There's this story of a man who has an encounter with Jesus. It's, uh, these words were spoken just after Jesus had uh, healed someone. And, uh, and so it starts in verse, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. It says, after these things, talking about the miracle that had just happened, after the miracle of healing had just happened, if you read the previous verses, we won't do that this morning. Um, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And so he left all, this is Matt, uh, Levi, so he left all, he rose up and followed Jesus. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. Please understand, sometimes scripture has been bunched together, so, but the time frame for the verses, even between one verse to the next verse, can be sometimes days. And I, I, what happens here is that Levi leaves his life as a tax collector, and then it says all of a sudden, the Bible just cuts straight into he's having a feast. You can appreciate a feast would take you know, some time to organize. So it was possibly the next day or the next couple of days that Levi actually had the feast with Jesus. Okay, is that cool? You got that? So Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. You know, and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to him, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. We'll leave it right there. Jesus must have changed the name of Levi probably within days of uh, Levi having this encounter with Jesus. And if you're not aware, Jesus changed his name, gave him a new name. It was uh, Matthew. Um, because in the next chapter of Luke's gospel, chapter 6, Luke actually refers to Levi as Matthew. If you realize Matthew uh, went on to become one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and Matthew wrote his own letter, or his own gospel, and that's the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew 
And when Matthew refers, to, tells everybody his own story, how would you be writing a story about you, but, you know, about yourself? And Matthew writes about himself, and he, Matthew actually calls himself Matthew, <laughs> the tax collector. He doesn't use the word Levi. So we see Jesus changes the name sometime from Levi to Matthew. And the word Matthew in Hebrew actually means gift of God or gift of the Lord. Okay? So it's interesting. That would clearly mean that Jesus saw Matthew as a gift or as a blessing that was given to serve God, which is what happened because, as I said, Matthew wrote the first book in the New Testament. Uh, not that he knew it would become the first book when he was writing it, but he wrote it about 50 or 60 years after Christ was born. And, of course, Matthew became one of the disciples, one of the close inner 12 disciples. But clearly, he was not seen, Matthew was not seen as a gift before he followed Jesus. He wasn't seen as a gift, okay, because he was a tax collector. And, and you've got to appreciate um, there were different... Um, to be a tax collector, it wasn't, it wasn't the most exciting job in the sense of what people thought of you. You didn't win friends. If you, if you wanted to be a tax collector, you, you weren't looking to win many people, friends, that is. See, this, how a tax collector, how the story unfolds for Matthew is Matthew, to become a tax collector, his name was Levi, of course, Levi, to become a tax collector, actually had to pay the Roman officials a certain fee to be able to, it was like a license to operate as a tax collector, and he lived in the whole area of Capernaum. He lived in the city of Capernaum, up on the um, northern, north kind of western corner of the Lake of Galilee, on the shores of the Lake of Galilee. And there Matthew had to apply for a, for a, uh, a license to be a tax collector. So he had to pay money. I don't know whether it was every quarter or every year, but he had to pay that to the Roman officials. And then... And, and, and Matthew, as a tax collector, was given the opportunity to collect taxes on goods and services. Okay, GST. It was the first GST. And, um, because, uh, and, then, and then when he collected the taxes, of course, he had to pay some of those taxes back to the Roman officials. So not only does he have to buy a license, he has to give the tax to the Romans. And, and of course, in doing that, then he's got to make a profit. So what did... Levi do and all the tax collectors do they used to squeeze the people for more money so they could have some income okay and you could appreciate that the Jewish people of the day uh, didn't they were offended by tax collectors they didn't like tax collectors they hated tax collectors not only for their corruption because many tax collectors if not all were quite corrupt in how they dealt with people because the Romans didn't check up on how much money the tax collectors collected. They just wanted their cut, and they weren't interested in what the tax collector did after that. So the Jewish people hated tax collectors, and they hated them also because the people like Levi, he was a Jewish man, and yet he ripped off his own people. So you can appreciate, on two accounts, he didn't, he didn't win any friends. Let's just put it that way. So... Often the tax collectors were lumped together with other people. And often you'll see what is in Luke chapter, Luke said, uh, the tax collectors and the sinners, you know, came to, uh, did they say sinners? Came uh, to the feast. Oh, it just says a great number, sorry, great, uh, and others. But often you'll see in scripture, it doesn't say sinners here, but often you'll see in scripture where the tax collectors are lumped with the 
you know, in the same phrase, tax collectors and sinners. And so they, they weren't favorably looked upon. And so we know from his trade that Levi was someone who indulged in taking and not giving. So understand this. So when Jesus came to him and, and Levi started to follow Jesus and Jesus changed his name, he changed it purposely. And, and, he gives, and this was a direct reference to now he's changing his attitudes. His name Matthew now meant to be a giver. And yet in his past... Matthew was everything but that. He was a taker. So we can see a reference to the incredible change that come, around, that come about in Matthew's life. The incredible um, steps he took to put the past behind him and to move into a so much better future. So, so Levi has this encounter and Jesus says, no longer you're called Levi the taker, but Matthew the giver. I reckon when we come to Christ, we don't change our name literally. Uh, but I think God puts a new name over our lives. I think he puts a, a different attitude. He puts a whole different, um, he calls us diff, something different. He calls us now child of God, doesn't he? There's a whole bunch of names he calls us. But, you know, we've got to understand what that means. and We've got to receive that, you know. Um, and, and quite literally, while we might be still, our, our, our practical name is still the same. God speaks over us something of life, blessed. Um, uh, uh, peace and joy and hope and a future. He, he speaks those type of things over our lives. And I think this comes to change. So I'm giving you a little bit of the backstory of Levi, who became Matthew, because I think it's very important to what the principles that are, I'm leading up to and I want to share. See, Matthew lived in a city called, as I said, Capernaum. It just happens to be that Jesus actually came to Capernaum to dwell as well. It, it, it literally says in Matthew chapter 4.13, he left Nazareth, Jesus did, and he came to live in Capernaum, uh, the, the uh, city by the sea of Lake of Galilee. And Jesus, you've got to understand, all his activities in that region were done out of Capernaum. He'd go out, he'd come back, he'd go out, he'd come back. It was the hub, it was the base from which Jesus worked out of. Capernaum itself had a population of 1,500 people. In those days, that was quite a reasonable sized city, please understand that. It was a reasonable size. And the whole region of Galilee it had about 15,000 people. So, so Capernaum had a good size, a number of those people. So you can appreciate that if it had 15, uh, sorry, 1,500. Did I say 15,000 or 1,500? 1,500 people in this city. And, you know, to us today, that's fairly small. But you can appreciate if something was happening in that city, everybody started to know about it because it wasn't that big. Everybody knew about it. It, was, uh, it had that small town feel, which makes it certain that Matthew knew of Jesus well before he ever got up from his tax table and followed him. Matthew would have known of Jesus. Jesus done some amazing things in Capernaum. You know, Matthew would have listened to Jesus on several occasions before he ever committed his life to follow Christ. You could appreciate there was a time when Jesus came in and Centurion's servant came to Jesus and said, Would you come, my master? Centurion has a, has a servant who's dying. He's on his deathbed. Would you come and heal him? And, and of course, Jesus healed the man, just speaking the word, didn't lay hands on the servant. And Jesus said about that Centurion, remember the story? You know, that's a man with great faith. 
Matthew could have been there experiencing and seeing what was happened. There was another time in Capernaum where, where um, there was a house full of people and Jesus was preaching in this house and, and there was a paralyzed man, remember that story? And his four mates put him on a stretcher, couldn't get him in the front door. So they went on the roof and they broke off the tiles and they lowered him down before Jesus. Matthew could have been there in that house. I don't know. And if Matthew missed those two situations, I'm sure Matthew caught up with because some other times because it says in Scripture that often Jesus preached in the Capernaum synagogue on many occasions. And if he missed that, in Mark chapter 1, it says the whole city of Capernaum one day came out to gather to watch Jesus heal the sick and deliver people from demons. The whole city. So did Matthew kind of know of Jesus before he responded to Jesus? Certainly. He had time to consider and weigh up the realities of what Jesus Christ was like because he was there. The interesting thing about the city of Capernaum was that Jesus, even though he dwelt there for a season, uh, for his ministry time, a long time, he was disappointed in the city of Capernaum. Is the Son of God allowed to get disappointed? Absolutely. Did he ever get sad? Absolutely. He has all the feelings that we have. But I think Jesus was disappointed with Capernaum. How would I know that? Well, it's because Matthew, um, Jesus spoke of the disappointment. Matthew wrote it down in Matthew eleven twenty three when he said this. He said, Capernaum. Remember this? He said, Capernaum. If, why did you not repent on seeing the mighty works of God? If Sodom, talking about the Old Testament, Old Testament city, if Sodom had seen the works, the great mighty works that I did, um, they would have repented and came to God. But he said, you, Capernaum, you haven't. Why did you not repent and follow me? Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, so Jesus was disappointed. But the interesting thing is, is that I, I think you'll see that the city, the city of Capernaum was curious about the works of God, but they were far convinced they were just fascinated. They were curious and they'd turn up as a crowd and they'd watch Jesus perform. It's almost like a magical trick. But they, were, they weren't convinced. They were curious but not convinced. I would ask you this morning, you know, in relation to Jesus Christ and the claims on your life, are you just curious about God or have you become one of the convinced? Even as a Christian, sometimes we can stand at a distance and Still just be nice and curious. Oh, God could do That's nice. But, you know, there is a process where God wants to take you to the next level and say, come on. It's not just a curiosity. You've got to, be, you've got to get, come to the point where maybe doing what Matthew did. Because there was one man, at least we know, in the city of Capernaum who stood up and took it to the next level. And that was Levi, of course, who became Matthew. And you know what? Levi, or, or Matthew, he saw the works of Jesus for quite a while. And he, 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 you know, he would have seen the healings. He would have seen the amazing things that happened. But uh, he didn't hesitate uh, to get up and leave his way of life and follow Jesus because he was not just impressed with the works of Christ, but Levi, here is it, wants to know the ways of Christ. He just wasn't impressed with the works of Christ. He wanted to know the ways of Christ. There's a difference. Because sometimes we can know oh, God does this or God does that. And it really doesn't, you know, we don't really, inter we, we, we love that, we're refreshed by that. But you know what? There's a great difference sometimes about just being impressed by God, but actually, you know, getting to the next level and saying, God, I'm yours. I want to know your ways. 
I want to walk with you. I want to. And Matthew did that that day when he got up and he left his way of tax collecting. Matthew, before he followed Jesus, I believe, was an incredible metaphor. He was an example of the people of this city. They were takers, and all they ever did was watch and receive Jesus' blessings, which never led to a change of heart or lifestyle. They were happy to enjoy his works, but never wanted to take it further and follow his ways. Come on. Never wanted to take it further. And that's why Jesus says, hey, you, you guys in Capernaum, if I'd done the works that I, that I did in Capernaum, that I did in Sodom back in the Old Testament, they would have repented, but you guys didn't. What's wrong with you? It's, you know what? They were impressed with the works, but they didn't know Christ. They really didn't know him. Matthew put his hand up and said, yeah, I'm going to get to know there's something here. See, the word follow, when Jesus said follow, follow me, it literally means this. It literally can be translated in English this way. To walk in the same ways. Ways. To walk in the same ways. What ways? The ways of Jesus. That's what, literally what it means. It means not just to have, have the, know the benefits of Jesus, but actually know the ways of Jesus. See, Jesus actually said in John 14, 6, I am the way. <laughs> I am, he said truth and life as well, but he says, I am the way. See, see, even as Christians, if we interpret God as just a a God of of great, wonderful um, benefits, and and I appreciate the miracles, I mean, I go for, I want that, and I need His healing power, and I need all those things of God. But ultimately, He wants you to get want Him not just for His miracles. He He wants you to want Him because of just who He is, and not just what He does. You know. And Matthew was discovering that knowing the ways of God is knowing his character, his attributes of love and grace and mercy and correction and rebuke and care for you. It's getting up close. It's getting to appreciate the relationship that he longs to have with us. His ways is not the one-off work he does in our body or circumstances, but the long-term process of strengthening, encouraging us that he does in our hearts. The way he speaks to us daily that we can become more like him and and follow the ways of his life. You know, that's what he longs for. That's what he longs for. See, it says Matthew followed him in verse 28. He became a person who followed his ways while enjoying his works. Let's enjoy. Let's bask in what he does for us. But ultimately, it's got to lead us somewhere. Would you agree? If all I've got is a, a... a fistful of memories about what God's done in my past and no relationship. I think that's a fairly shallow faith. God says, come on, I've got to know you. I want you to know my ways. You know, um, when I first met my wife, there was that first initial um, uh, moment of seeing her and kind of meeting her that I was just fascinated with her beauty. And so it should be. Is that, that's good. Okay, it's not not a terrible thing. It was a sincere, pure thing. I was just wow. I was I was impressed because there was things about it that, as a kind of from a distance, this was just from a distance. I'd watch it, and uh, I saw that she was a dental therapist. I wasn't quite sure what that meant at first. I thought, is she a person who talks to teeth? Or I wasn't quite sure what it meant. But a dental therapist was like a dentist. I thought, wow. That sounds impressive. I, I found out that she, uh, she wore nice clothes. She had this beautiful blue-purple um, 
blue and electric blue and black jumper that she wore. And I thought, wow, what a jumper. That was, I just I don't know what was exciting about it. It's the truth. I was impressed. I was impressed. Um, it's the things that stick in your head. She, she kind of dro- drove a, a nice car for those days, you know, a Toyota. Um, uh, uh, she could even cook. <laughs> Whoa, I found out she could cook. I thought, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with this lady. I, uh, I thought this lady had it all together. But you know what? It would have been a mistake. It would have been a mistake if I'd married her on the outward understanding of her ability alone and her work, so to speak. If, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, people get married on that basis. Well, looks good, must be good, let's get married. And yet they don't take the time. See, I'm glad I got to know her ways. I'm glad I got to know how she treated other people. I'm glad I got to know how she honored her parents. I'm glad I saw her with difficult and difficult circumstances um, and, and how she kind of responded to the trials and the struggles of life before. I, I'm glad I saw her in those circumstances. I remember we went to the Philippines in a uh, missions trip. There were seven of us from this church. Michelle and I went. We weren't, we weren't married or anything. We were just kind of friends. And, um, and as I went to the Philippines with her, the first three nights, she slept on a board in a bedroom for three nights until they had mercy on her. And Philip, Pastor Ramos finally bought a mattress for her. I was pretty impressed with that because I was on a mattress and she was on a board. Now, you may ask, uh, <laughs> don't. Yeah. Now, it's not that I just thought well, we'd just test this lady out. The fact was, was I was in a room by myself, and I had a mattress, and Michelle was in a room with another lady, and she had a mattress, but Michelle graciously chose the board to sleep on for three nights, and uh, how could we swap? I couldn't have, you know, Michelle in the mattress in the room with me, could I? We weren't married. The answer is no. So, you know, I couldn't, oh, my hands were literally tied. I couldn't do a thing. Couldn't do a thing. So, the truth is, don't miss the point here. Don't miss the point. Come on. I saw her in difficult circumstances, and you know what? Every morning, she got up with a smile. I thought, this is a... And afterwards, in hindsight, years later, she said, you know what? It was hard. My body ached. I had to roll over every 30 minutes. To... Oh, it was sore. But she did it with a smile. Uh, and I was, I was impressed with this lady. I, you know, um, I was impressed. I'm glad I got to know her ways. I saw her, she was diligent uh, to go to work no matter how she felt. I saw her in situations that said, hey, she's committed. She turns up. There's something about this lady. I just didn't know, I just didn't think she looked good. I thought there's something of great substance to this lady. You know what? I could put a ring on that. <laughs> and I did. And I did. Now, that sounds a little bit sexist saying, put a ring. I mean, I just truly, I think I fell in love with her for all the right reasons. That's what I'm trying to say. See, I saw, her, I saw the way that her, she, her character was. I married her not just because I was curious about her outer beauty, because I was convinced she had an inner quality that was incredible. And so the more and more my relationship, in actual fact, this is the truth, the more and more my relationship with Michelle goes on, I realize that the glue that sticks us together is more and more about our inner ways than our outer works. She still cooks incredible meals. 
you know, but there's things that we physically, you know, you, you just your ability. We don't have all those, you know, you get older, for instance, and, and things sag, don't they? And if it was based upon what we look like, would we, ever, would we ever stay together? You'd just go and find someone else who's younger, a younger model, you know, a younger whatever. No, no, we don't do that because it isn't the outward thing. It's not the works that impress us now. It's the inner qualities that gives us the glue to stick at it. And I want to share with you the reality of our relationship with God is not just about what he does for you, but who he is in you and who he wants to be to you. Because that'll be the glue that always you'll come back to and say, God. Because what happens when, you're, if you're impressed by what God does, sometimes you'll be disillusioned when God doesn't turn up for you that you think he should. But the glue will be, God, I know your ways, and I know you're still good, even though it's all bad and it doesn't feel good. But I tell you, I know that all things can work together for good, God. I believe your promises, and so I'm going to trust you. It's because I'm not just impressed by your ways and your mighty works. I'm not a Capernaum type of city. I'm going to be a Matthew type of person that says, I'm going to follow you no matter what. I'm going to give, you know. Jesus fed 5,000 plus people one day. What do, you think, what do you think they hung around? They were, initially, they were listening to his teaching and he performed miracles and healed people and cast out demons. But then he fed them. He fed them five fish and two loaves. That was, um, yep, that was pretty impressive, wasn't it? Pretty impressive. But I wonder how many of those 5,000 plus people ever returned to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't know. I know that one did. There was a whole bunch that did, but I know Matthew did. See, they knew about him. They just didn't know him. Um, oh, sorry, they didn't. They knew. The ones that do follow, they know about him, but they just didn't know his good works. They knew him. And, you know, it, it, when it comes down to it, was, it was easy, it's easy to walk away from God when you have no understanding that Jesus was, was not just the supplier of my needs, but he actually wants to be the lover of my soul. It's easy to walk away when you don't understand that. But if you can understand his ways and that he has an incredible love for you, man, that makes it difficult to walk away. When Michelle and I connected love and truly love each other for more than just the outward ability but the inner qualities, it's, you can't walk away from that. It's a glue that sticks you because it's knowing the ways. See, Luke says in verse 28, Matthew... He got up, he left all, and he left all and rose up. That's what it says, literally, Matthew, verse 28. Um, sorry, Luke, verse 28, Luke 5. He left all. Jesus says, follow me. He, le he, he left all and rose up. It, you know, the, it means to abandon. To leave all means to abandon, which makes common sense. But I, I have, he repented and lived for Christ, unlike his fellow Capernaum mates, who couldn't get past the fascination of the works of God, they were just, that's nice, but they didn't go deeper. See, I have a special appreciation for Levi, who became Matthew, because he paid a price to follow Jesus. You think about the fishermen of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. Reality was, they were fishermen. And, you know, if, if this whole thing with Jesus, this adventure with Jesus, you know, turned into a fail, they could go back to fishing. Just go and pick up their boats. They're still on the shore there and we'll go fishing again. In actual fact, the some of the disciples who were fishermen, what did they do when Jesus, between the time Jesus went to heaven and before the Holy Spirit came? They went what? 
fishing. They went back to their occupation. Matthew, folks, please appreciate Matthew. He was a dignitary in that city as much as he was you know, um, hated. You know, he had a position and a title and a privilege as a tax collector. And, and you know, when he gave up his role and said to the Romans, no, nah, see you later, I'm not going to pay you anymore because I'm not going to be a tax collector. You know, I'm not going to have this job anymore. I'm giving it up. Folks, it was a big step for Matthew because you just can't go back to the Romans and say, oh, could you give me my job back? They weren't, wouldn't be interested. They would have given it to someone else straight away. He gave up a role. He gave up his title. He gave up his wealth. He gave up his privilege, his position, to gladly follow Christ. Because Matthew saw something more than his great Jesus' great works. He saw his great ways and said, there's something worth giving up here. Just wait a second. There's something more than him just healing and touching Elijah, which I love. There is something more to him, and I want to find out what it is. And that's what he went after. And Jesus said, follow me, which means come and follow my way. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this. It says, it actually says, when we know Jesus' kindness, that kindness, when we have a revelation of his kindness and his grace and his mercy, in other words, a revelation of his ways, um, it actually says it will lead us to repentance. That's what it says. It'll lead us to repentance. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? So, an incredible thought. When we know his attributes or the ways of his kindness, it'll actually lead us to repent from our past and present sin. Notice it doesn't say when we know his great works, we'll repent. Now, I think God's works are incredible because I think it, 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 the truth is his works can lead us to the point of knowing that the kindness behind his great works, the mercy behind his great works. You see, when he fed the 5,000 folks, Five, feeding the 5,000 was his works. Why he fed them was his ways. Because he loved people. He wanted to see them okay. See, uh, healing the multitude was his works. Why he healed them was his ways. Because his, he, he, why he did it was often because of compassion. So many times in Scripture you see that word. He had compassion on the person who was sick. Sometimes we just love his ways, I mean, love his works, but we never see the compassion or the kindness or the mercy or the grace or the correction or the rebuke that he, he may want to give us. That's his ways. That's what he wants to establish in our lives. See, when we, we only know of God's works and not his ways, we can be impressed by his works, but when everything else doesn't go right, we can be equally disillusioned by the struggle that we face in life and abandon God for some worldly pleasure. Because, oh, well, God's not coming through for me. This is not right. We'll see you later, God. You know, in our Christian faith, we mightn't do that. We still come to church, but sometimes through the week, in our hearts, do we abandon God because we think, oh, God, this shouldn't have happened. And God says, these are the times to draw near to me because, you know what? There's, as I said before, Romans 8.28, all things can work together for good to those who know and love God according to his purpose. And so when we know not just his works, but we know his ways, we can know that the character of God is good. And even though it doesn't feel good, we can love and trust him that he's working all things out for good. Now, if you haven't got a revelation of his ways, and all you know is about his wonderful works, sometimes you'll just say, see you later, God, because uh, <laughs> you know, you're supposed to do good things. And this isn't good. It doesn't feel good. But God says, hey... He's basically saying, I want you to grow up in your faith. 
When you know God's ways and not just his works, you understand why Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, people look at that verse and say, that is ridiculous. Why would you give thanks in everything? No, in everything give thanks. But when you know his, all you know is his works, you know, you're quite happy to go, well, blow you. I don't know any, I just want his, his, his favor. I don't want any hardship in my life. I don't want any struggle. And if it does come my way, you know, I'm not going to give thanks for that. But, you know, when we know his ways, we still can rely on him and know that there's a silver lining to every gray cloud and that God can work through it and work it for good. And we can give him thanks for that. In actual fact, giving him thanks releases his power to do what you can't in the midst of a difficult circumstance. See, we can sometimes want the, you know, Jesus walking on water moments. We can want the healing of the leper moments or the feeding of the 5,000 moments. Um, and uh, we, we want that. But God wants you not just to know his works. He wants you to know him he wants you to walk with him. He wants you to get to put him first. I was, I was um, uh, contemplating a little incident that happened with my eldest daughter, Gabrielle, when she was 13. She's not here, so we can talk about it. Um, <laughs> and my other two daughters are not allowed to say a thing. Uh, no, it's all good. But, you know, I, I remember when she was 13, and as a dad, um, and... Uh, there was an incident right through uh, the day Gabriel had been saying to us the day before, oh, tomorrow after church, she said, um, um, there's some people going out and they're gonna, you know, do, going to do some things. And they were youth, but they were 18-year-olds. And, uh, and they were kind of um, not the group that we understood that Gabriel needed to mix with. And, and so uh, it kind of, she was tell, asking us, asking us, I want to go out with this group, I want to go out with this group. And we kept on saying, no, honey, no, honey. And so it kind of, came to a head on a Sunday afternoon after church. Um, and, she, um, and, she, and she said, I want to go out, can't we? And she kept on pestering us. And, uh, and I said to her, I'll just have a drink. Is that cool? I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't have a bottle of something in the cupboard. Um, and I said to her, it's not going to happen, Gabrielle. And she looked at me. And, and she was angry. She was frustrated because she'd ha have her heart set on something. And she said to me, Dad, I said, yes, I hate you. Ooh. And I said to her, now, it was like a little dagger. You know, as a dad, when you get your first daughter to say to you, she hates you, it's like a little dagger. But I didn't react. I responded. I said, that's okay. I still love you. She shut the door and went into the room. That wasn't the answer she wanted. <laughs> now, you know, uh, it was an interesting situation, you know, with the eldest daughter. Now, was Gabriel a bad girl? No, she wasn't. She was a be beautiful girl and still is. It, all my daughters are. I love them dearly. But for that moment as a 13-year-old, she was just questioning things and, and she was going to do something that we just knew wasn't the right thing. And so we said no to her. And her response out of anger and out of emotion was just to tell me the most. <clears throat> she was, is, was to react against the father who was saying no to her. But the wonderful thing about it is, is that we'd built a pretty good relationship with her. And we'd built this bridge of her knowing our heart and knowing our ways as parents and what we would allow and wouldn't allow. 
And so that bridge of relationship, thankfully, was able to he- handle the heavy traffic of correction and saying no. You know, as parents, I just want to say, parents, it's sometimes okay to say no. And don't get manipulated by the emotion. Because if you, and can I just say, mum and dad stand together. That's why some of our children are off the rails, is because mum and dad don't stand together. Anyway, that's a side note. Um, it's not parenting 101. We've got to keep to the message. So, you know, um, it, it, so this bridge of relationship we'd built with her over the last 13 years, we were testing it now. Finally, it was the test to see how much that relationship was really worth to her. So she didn't go with her friends, but the next morning she woke up and she came out to me and she says, Dad, I said, yeah, honey, how are you? I feel like saying, yeah, any better? You got your life back together? Did you know what you did to me? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And she said to me, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for saying that and I'm sorry for my attitude. It was like a little nice cool balm to that dagger. Just... Ah, I kind of healed up knife marks in my heart. (laughs) And I said, that's okay. And we talked about it. It was all cool. And I never heard anything like that ever again. She was just a beautiful daughter. But it was just that moment. Here's what I want to say is, you know, with God, sometimes he just gives you that. There's there's a hard thing happens. And there's the times, the bridge. And if you don't know his ways, you'll run a mile. But if you know his ways, you'll run into his arms. And you say, God, I don't like what's happening, but I know you're good. And I know you care for me. And ultimately, I know that I can trust you and that you've got the best plan and purpose for my life. I don't like this, and it feels terrible. But you know what, God? I'm going to trust you. Come on. How are you going today? How are you going in relation? Are you just curious or are you convinced that God is the heavenly father he says he is? He's good. He's a good God. He cares for us. He ultimately has the best interests for our lives. How much are you willing to... Now, I know it's a process sometimes of trust, isn't it? How much do we trust God? We just trust Him this much. And then, and then He takes us to a new level and trusts us. And we say, oh, He gives you an opportunity. And that's what sometimes struggles are, just an opportunity to trust Him more. Have you ever realized that? This is not, and then He gives you... And when you, you kind of pass that, He gives you another opportunity. And all the time, he's, you're drawing closer and closer to His heart. And you're getting to know His ways more and more. And you're getting to the point, you know, because what I can handle today in the way of struggles, I couldn't handle 10 years ago or 15 years ago. I couldn't handle it at all. But my God has progressed in our life. As we yield to him and surrender, as we did what Matthew did, and we give over and say, you know what, I'm going to leave it all. I know that if I leave it today and cut my ties with the Romans, Roman tax office, they're never going to speak to me again, but that's okay because I believe Jesus. You're, big, you're more than just incredible great works. You're going to ways for me that are amazing, and I'm going to walk in them. And I want to say, hey, is that where you're at today? Maybe you're in that process of trust or learning or growing. You know, one of the greatest elements of Jesus revealing to us his incredible um, processes and his ways would have to be when he hung on a cross. Would you agree? Because when he hung on that cross, when he died for us, he just wasn't dying for us just to impress us. He says, this will be good. Everybody will enjoy this. I'll die on a cross. I think that's a good day to die on a cross. I don't think he would have gone to the cross if it was just to impress us or just to show us his mighty works. No, I mean, you know, when he died, he, he didn't, he, what he died for was that he wanted to show us 
It was much more than just impressing us. He wanted to engage humanity back with his father. He wanted to engage us with the relationship with God. And he knew that dying on a cross, on a criminal's cross, even though he was pure and had no sin in his life, and even though they blamed him for everything, uh, that he, when he did that, he would reinstate and reignite and help people to come to his heavenly father through his death on the cross. What a powerful kind of um, example we get. You know, and it's interesting because on the cross, as you see, there's a, there's a vertical line. Uh, the vertical beam, and that's the one that reaches straight up to God. And he says, the cross is all about being, coming to God and knowing God. Because Old Testament principle was, the only way that you knew God was animal sacrifice. You did it once a year, and God would forgive you a sin. But you didn't really know God. You just knew of his works. That's why Israel would come to God um, when the difficult times when the enemy would come against them. They'd run to God and say, God, God, save us. God would save them. And then they'd forget about God and run back into their sin. And then again, they'd come back. The enemy would be released on them and they'd give, punish them. And, and then they'd run to God and say, oh, God, God, save us. God would save them. And then they'd forget God and run back into this. They didn't really know God. They just knew the works of God. They knew about the parting of the Red Sea and the feeding of the manna from heaven you know, on the ground. And the, they knew about the works, but they didn't know the ways of God. And Jesus... That's why Jesus says, I'm the way for you to know God now. And that's why there's a, I kind of look at this cross and I think there's a vertical beam because it's the way to know God through Jesus Christ. Now there's a horizontal beam because Jesus reached out to humanity and said, humanity come and know the ways of God. And the horizontal beam is for us because that's where Jesus suffered. He hung, he, they nailed both hands there in love, didn't they? And he, he went to the cross and you know, this morning, um, his blood was shed, his body was broken uh, for us. It was the greatest work that Jesus probably did. Uh, it wasn't motivated by what he needed to do, but it was motivated by why he needed to do it, and it was for us. It was for humanity, for sin to be forgiven, for us to know that forgiveness and mercy. His heart and love for humanity, to see them forgiven for sin, was paramount in his life paramount in his life and he knew he went through it so on the night that he was betrayed and we're going to share communion in a moment but i invite the team to come up if they could so on the night that he was betrayed by judas iscariot what did he do he took bread you can imagine this big loaf of bread and he broke it he broke it in little pieces uh, maybe not too little but fistful pieces and he gave it to the disciples and this is what he said, take this and eat it, for this is my body which is given for you. Now, they didn't understand that at the time. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to die on a cross. I'm just in, thank you, I just invite you now to come and take, give out. You know, this morning, can I challenge you? In response, in a moment... You, you're going to have an opportunity to have a little cup, and it's going to represent his blood, and the biscuit's going to represent his body. But you know what? Today, let it be a response in your heart that says, God, wherever I am today, that's fine. God accepts you as you are. But in taking this cup and this bread, God, would you help me to go to the next level? Would you help me, God, just, just to, uh, um, you know, to be mindful that it's, not just all that you do for me, but it's what you want to do in me. And that I'd be open and responsive to continue that work that you want to do in me. 
that I'd have a relationship with you and not just a, a kind of a casual acquaintance with you, God. And if you don't want, if you don't think you could fulfill that commitment today, because sometimes we just go through communion and to, everybody takes communion, but don't take the cup. Don't take the bread today. If you want to be totally honest and say, well, I'm not there willing to yield yet that much. And you know what? That's okay. It's just as long as you would, in some point in the future, say, God, just prove yourself and show yourself to me. So I want you just to think about it this morning before you take the cup and bread. And I know it's being distributed now. And just consider it. God, am I willing to continue to yield? You see, because after he broke the bread and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Every bit of that broken bread or his broken body screamed out for humanity to come and kind of have a relationship with God. Every bit of that bread. It was saying, God wants a relationship with you. And then he took the cup, the cup of wine as it was, and he said, take it and drink this for this is my blood which is shed for all of you. In fact, he said, this is my blood of the new promise. And you know what the new promise was? It was now the forgiveness for sins through Jesus' blood. Not through the blood of animals, but through the blood of Jesus Christ. It was a new promise, a new promise that he was setting in his blood. And he, he went to that cross. His body was broken, his blood was shed, and it established that we could have relationship, the, horizontal, the vertical beam, a relationship with God, because Jesus is the way. He's the person that we can come to know, true character, the attributes of His grace and mercy. So this morning, if you, um, when you grab your cup, I'm just going to ask the team just to lead us in this song while everybody else is being served. I just want you to take a moment to contemplate the realities. Am I willing to surrender? Because Christ gave us all, am I willing to give my all? Am I going to do a Matthew and say, I'm not going back? Maybe there's some things this morning that you just need to get off your agenda. I don't need to do those things anymore. God, help me. Strengthen me. This is the opportunity now to let him know, God, I don't want these things in my agenda in my life. I need you. Come on, let's contemplate that.